Well, welcome to the Estates Made Simple podcast. My name is Gordon Vanderleek, and my uh, say hello to my lovely co-host Jenna Carvello. Uh, welcome uh, to the to the podcast. It's nice to be recording again. Yes, it is uh, nice to see you in, in person too, Gord. Yes, and and astute. Uh, um, well, not so much the listeners, but the viewers on our uh, of of the video of this will notice some some facial hairs uh, that that have accrued over the Christmas break. So a new look for uh, for the start of 2023. Uh, we look forward to that. And and uh, to our listeners, um, welcome. Uh, we are on a mission to simplify the world of estate administration. That's what we want to talk about, and ensure executors have the right tools to do their jobs. And today's um, topic. Uh, is about how to choose an executor. You want to maybe introduce that for us, Jenna? Yes, of course. I think this is a, a very important topic to discuss, and and often it's a decision that's overlooked by a lot of people when they are creating their wills. You know, they go through and and discuss who their beneficiaries are to a great degree, who their guardians for their children will be, um, and then often a, a, the appointment of an executor is the last and final decision that they just you know spend a few minutes discussing. So, I think it's it warrants a deeper discussion. Um, topics of what to consider when you're choosing an executor. Executor, uh, making sure you're choosing the right person because, you know, they're often the the uh, the success or the failure of the estate administration. If you have a yes. really organized executor, your estate administration is going to go much more smoothly and and can can also save uh, significant dollars for the estate. Um, so I, I'm very passionate about this topic and, uh, and and love to chat. So I thought we'd jump right in into you know there's there's four or five considerations of of uh, what to consider when you're choosing an executor. And, and um, the first one being, of course, consider the time required. And maybe Gord, I'll let you speak further on that one. I think that's an important consideration. It almost sounds like there should be something a little more lofty, right, to, to begin with. Um, but you know what? It's a good practical place to start on the consideration. So a couple of points on here is that this isn't, oh, you know, a 60-day project. Right. Um, the person has to have have the, the the time to be able to do it. Estates, I mean, very simple estates. Maybe they get wrapped up within a year in that executor's year. But oftentimes you're waiting for CRA and clearance certificates and there may be some assets. It takes a while to sell the house or to file the tax returns, get all that stuff done. Um, and, and, and even with the most simple of estates, you know, it's going to take time. I often say to people, we measure estates not in days and weeks, but in months and years, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, we're, we're talking a longer time frame. So to the choice of the executor, you want to pick somebody who has the ability to be able to, they have the time for it over the duration um, of the assigned of the assigned task, but they they just have a job that allows them, you know, that, that permits them, you know, they have the capacity to be able to attend uh, meetings and to do what needs to be done and keep the estate moving forward. Um, so that that's that's a good consideration. Everybody's busy, and and you know you're not going to find somebody who's sitting around going, oh, I have nothing to do because if you're picking responsible people, they're probably busy people. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a consideration when you're looking at I got choose person A and choose choose person B, who has the time, right? And what station in life are they at? Um, you know, are they? likely just going to retire and become snowbirds and they're going to be out of jurisdiction for a good chunk of the year. That's a yeah. consideration. Do they have the time to be able to attend um, uh, to this? 
uh, and or they're busy with schooling or they just decided to go back and get their MBA and it's like, okay, they're, 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 you know, they can't handle the assignment right now. So I think um, it is appropriate because it takes time to collect the assets, to to figure out the, um, you know, all the legal issues involved in the estate, uh, communication strategy. You may have to have meetings with people. It all requires a bunch of time. And almost universally, if I say to somebody at the end of the administration of the estate, do you think this was, you know, more time required or less time required than you <laughs> anticipated when you said yes, right? It's also, oh, okay, I had no idea there was this much work involved. So you, you got to bear that in mind. You don't be because they could renounce or just say they quit halfway through and that's that's disruptive to the estate. And, and so finding somebody who has the time um, and ability, certainly, the, you know, first and foremost, the time to be able to do it is a consideration, right? Yeah. And and I'm curious, the answer to that question, most often would, would the executor say, you know, it's oh, they, way more time consuming. It's way, I didn't think it was this complicated, yeah, right? Yeah. And then that's even on the average estate. And then you roll in anything contentious. Yeah. You know, if there's a challenge to the will or there's a legal applications required and now there's fighting, um, they got to spend a lot of time. There's They're going for questioning. They have to attend court. They, they you know, their meetings with the lawyer. Uh, yeah, they're going to go, oh, I didn't think, you know, I'm having to take time off work or vacation time to be able to do this work. I didn't think I had signed up for that, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, being realistic with with them uh, is, is important. But universally, I think people say, oh, yeah, that's fine. And it always is more than they expected, right? Yeah. I, I, almost universally, they just don't realize all that's involved. Now, you could use professionals, and we often encourage people, you know, hire Hire lawyers, hire accountants, hire financial advisors and other consultants to to ease the work. Um, but you still need enough time for care and management, right? To to attend to 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 those. So yeah, I think one of the the most surprising things is the mental time, the time that you spend thinking about decisions when you're on your way to work, the time considering all the different factors, and that's that's also taking up a lot of mental space um which does bring us into the the next item of of considering the skills that your executor requires they need to be organized they need to have sound decision making ability they need to have um you know the know the know-how of when they need to seek out professionals so good business sense because they're going to be managing various priorities, various types of assets, and it's really important for them to have the skills to to you know sell those assets or transfer them to the beneficiaries or consider all the different factors. Um, so I always tell clients, you know, take a look at your assets, think about what assets you own, and then you know you can narrow down the best executor. Because if your estate's really simple, maybe you have a primary residence, maybe you have a couple of bank accounts, an investment account. And that's it. Then maybe your executor doesn't need all the skills required that yeah. you know an estate would need if there was an operating business or assets in other jurisdictions um, or even complex family dynamics. Um, so yes, it really comes down to your assets and then um, all of the people surrounding you if they have the skills required to to take on the role uh, of an executor. Yeah. No, I think that's 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 really important. Um, I'm going to emphasize one of the things you said, and I've seen this time again, is just that decision-making ability. Mm-hmm. Um, if I get involved in a contentious estate or if an executor is getting sued by a beneficiary, oftentimes 
I mean, it could be about the decision that was being made, but usually it's because no decision is being made, mm, right? Yeah. They're not communicating, they're not responding. And if you look at it going, had they made any decision, it probably would have been better than doing nothing. And 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 so sometimes some people just faced with, okay, there's some choices here. Their, their approach is to say, oh, I don't know what to do. So they do nothing, right? Or it overwhelms them. So I really like that, that, that emphasis on decision-making. Um, because the reality is it would, um, yeah, it, 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 you just need it at some point, somebody's just got to make a decision, right? Yeah. Even if beneficiaries are upset about, well, do this or do that, somebody's got to make a decision. So good decision-making skills, right? Which means not being rash. I'm not suggesting go fast, but somebody has to say, okay, here's, they can analyze the problem. They could say, um, this is the problem. Here are the facts. I've gotten this advice. They can assimilate all that information and just make a decision, right? Um, and then at least the estate can move forward. It doesn't stay stagnant for years and years, you know. Um, you know, and, and and those are the more extreme situations where people are upset because nothing is happening. No decision is being made, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Um, what about what have you seen with regard? To, you know, we talk a little bit about another topic to consider in choosing an executor would be having an affair and honest assessment of kind of the family dynamics, right? I, I think that's an important consideration um, in choosing the executor. I've, I've been known to say to people, well, if you're, especially if you're doing co-executors, maybe it's a couple of your kids. Good question to ask is, well, do they get along? Because <laughs> yes, it, not all family question. members get along, right? And it's suddenly if, or or you go, you know, you're I'm picking this sister and that brother. Well, do they get, like, can they make decisions effectively um, if they really dislike each other and distrust each other, forcing to, forcing them together in this decision-making role may be a recipe for um, conflict and expense and a delay, all of which we're trying to avoid with a proper, you know, in a proper estate plan. So, you know, how are they going to act um, in the context of a family? If you say, okay, I got four children, I'm picking one over the other. Well, what's that going to, how's that going to um, play out in family dynamics afterwards going, well, mom didn't even trust me to, to I thought I was going to be the executor, right? You know, all those sorts of things. So some of that, obviously, some of that can be solved with good communication. Once you make a decision to say, talk to the family about it. And if you have adult children, um, you know, have a conversation because, or your views on this may have changed over time, right? Maybe one of your kids moved out of province and are no longer the best choice uh, on on that. So, you know, I remember dealing with a situation where um, client came in, there was there was a number of children who were in the States and one who was local. So the, the, the advice would be, I think the local person will be hands-on and have the ability to actually do it, has the time, is, is a good person. But we did say, you know what, you might want to have a conversation with the other kids because they sort of assume they're going to be on or it all be joined. And if they hear it from you, it's just better received than there's a surprise. Right. Or now they're in conflict with this one child who's the named executor. In this case, there was very good legal and tax reasons why the people who lived outside of Canada should not be named as executors. But it meant that needed to be communicated. So if you're looking at some of these factors and looking at your own estate plan going, yeah, I, the person I named 10 years ago when I did my will, maybe I should update it. Think about some of these factors but then also couple it with proper communication, right? Just, okay, how would the kids react or talk to them about it and see the reaction? 
because then they can hear it from you as opposed to they they don't know the reason why you picked one over the other right and mm-hmm. it could just it, it could set the stage for um maybe resentment or um uncertainty about the decisions and it just gets things off to a bad footing right um, where it can be maybe managed uh, a little bit uh, a little bit better you know what do they have good diplomacy skills are they good communicators we talked earlier about being co- good communicators but they're the type of person well they just make a decision and move on they don't tell anybody they're they're action oriented you know business oriented and i just make decisions i don't have to check with people they're kind of that ceo personality well maybe you want somebody who's more the mediator and the placator and good communicator and 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 that's a better choice uh, on the executor in terms of a skill set to be able to uh, to be able to do that. Yeah, and I think a good rule of thumb is if your children will get along while you're alive, they're definitely not going to get along if they're acting as executors together or after you've you've passed away. Um, so don't don't expect them to automatically stick together because that's often not the case. Um, and you know, you touched on an important part uh, about considering where your executor resides, because as you mentioned, there are legal and tax issues if your executor does not live uh, in the same province or country uh, as you do. So if, if you pass away and you've named, let's say, an out-of-province executor, um, sometimes that out-of-province executor is required to post a bond to the Alberta court. And a bond is like an insurance policy um, confirming that, you know, the, the executor, they can't take the money and run. And if they do, there's that insurance to to pay the estate um, to ensure the beneficiaries are protected. Um, so that's that's one consideration in terms of an out-of-province executor. But then when you have an executor that lives out of the country, you can actually um, cause the estate to be taxed in another country, which is never a good thing. Um, specifically with regards to the U.S., you know, you could change the situs of your estate and then you have to file a U.S. tax return. Um, so those are those, you know, I always advise clients, if you're considering a, a U.S. executor, don't. Um, there's always better options out there. Uh, if you don't have someone local, then, of course, a professional can be appointed. Um, but, uh, yeah, always avoid those those uh, out of country executors. Yeah, in fact, I I have as part of a standard provision in my will actually a clause that says if somebody ceases to be resident Canadian, maybe they were resident when appointed, but then later they they move out of Canada and they cease to be resident. Then in that circumstance, um, you know they're disqualified from serving because I don't want the executor to have to be paying high priced um, tax and accounting help to figure out the implications of U.S. tax rules on the estate. And I'm going to couple that with saying there are specific um, rules in place for estates under the Income Tax Act in Canada. And if there are rollovers, if there are exemptions that are in place, they all assume it's it's for a resident Canadian estate. So it's not only there may be the application of rules you don't even know about to the estate because now it's deemed to be resident in a different country, but the rules you assume are going to apply because of maybe something favorable uh, for a Canadian estate are lost because it's no longer a Canadian resident. So it's just, it's a mess all the way around. And I agree with you. That's kind of my starting point is I prefer somebody in Alberta. You might argue there's a benefit of having somebody in the local city. Um, You know, okay, we're recording this in Calgary, not a problem for somebody in Cochrane to be an executor, but maybe if they live in Grand Prairie, that's going to be harder, right? Even though they're within Alberta. So proximity is something um, you know, to definitely take into um, take into account, and 
uh, you got to take a look at the assets that are part of the estate and what is the implication. But as a general rule, if you've got a kid li living in the estate, um, I'm going to give the advice of that child should not be named. It's just going to create a host of problems that you don't even want to you don't want to get into. Right. It's yeah. easily avoidable by by just picking somebody local or getting a, you know, a trust company to be appointed local to solve that problem if, if that's the scenario. Right. Right. And and so um, my question to you is how many people or how many executors should one choose? What is the, the best and perfect number? Well, OK, so here's a, a bit of advice. I think I think the most I've seen so far is four um, that have, that have been a, that have been an appointed. Um, oftentimes it's usually one, two or three, right? So first of all, I, I answer the question by saying, look at the underlying assets. I, you know, at this point in time, if you're planning and drafting your will and considering who the executor is, um, the issue will be, well, how complex would the assets be, right? Like what's the work involved and making assessments? I like as a starting point to say um, that the there's an efficiency of a committee of one. If you get one person who's doing it, they can make a decision and they will they will, you know, drive the bus forward. You know, the advantage of two would be two heads are better than one. It kind of slows down the decision making, but that's sometimes a good thing, right? They got to collaborate, they got to talk. But there could be a deadlock, right? That 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 if one says I want to do this, the other one says no, we're not going to do that. We're I want to do something different. Well, now they got to argue that out, or ultimately, if they can't agree, you might end up in the courts to say we can't agree on this decision that has to be made. Yeah, three is is not um, that uncommon, uh, but but you know there are probably some sort of majority rules because is there an increased probability that one person might just be contrarian and say no to everything and the estate is stuck? So you you want to be mindful of that as you as you go forward, or even to say. Um, you know, I saw before where there was a, an estate where it was the spouse and the adult children, mm. all were the executors, right? And the decision was they got to collaborate, but it's majority, but the spouse has to be part of the majority, right? Yeah. So that was unique to that family and sort of made sense. But I, I would say for most estates, one is sufficient and you you get a decision maker um, and and it makes it easier. I only need one signature for going through probate. You know, one client I'm accounting to who can then report to the other kids. So for most people, one is enough. Uh, but it depends certainly on the circumstances. Isn't that a typical lawyer answer, right? Depends. <laughs> uh, you know, there's not a hard and fast rule. But I, um, yeah, hopefully those are some of the pluses and minuses. Typically one through, you know, I probably do more that are one. The next level would be two. And then every now and then I get three because they, they can't decide. But here's and maybe a, a good to, to to wrap up this point of the conversation. What I think I hear some people saying is, oh, I have three kids. I'm just going to name them all because that way I don't have to choose. They kind of default to the, well, I don't want to make a decision. I'm going to put all three, which might be a bit of a disaster because they don't get along because of this or one's in the States and, and all the rest of it. So don't feel like, you know, this is an act of favoritism or um, you're, you're, you're giving a nod to one kid or the other or you're somehow feel morally obligated to name them all because you don't want hurt feelings. I think you got to look at the important criterias and make a decision and then review those decisions because what you decide today might be different than five years from now. So um, yeah, I, hopefully that, you know, get people who can work together, good decision makers, they're local, they can, they have the ability and um, I would check with them. 
There's nothing in Alberta law. That is another maybe good point to add. There's nothing in Alberta law says that you need to get consent. But I always say, okay, whatever you've told me, go back to your kids or to your sibling or your parents and just ask them because you, you don't know if they're prepared to serve in that role until you ask. You might be surprised. You just assume they're going to say yes, but what if they say no? Um, you don't want a document where somebody's going to renunciate immediately and and be able to uh, to be able to do that. So I think those are those are some of the um, considerations. What are your thoughts? Uh, just sort of wrapping up and considering the choice of executors. Yeah. Well, I think you know I think organizations in general, companies, they thrive on one decision maker. Yes. Because they can make a decision fast and move forward and you have the same mind of thought. So I think I think you're right. I mean, one is is probably best in most cases. Two is is common as well. Um, but yeah, and, and, you know, in the end, talk to your family and talk to the executor, as you mentioned, because that's the most important thing. Make sure everyone's on board and flesh out all those issues and questions before you pass, because unfortunately, the the questions can't be asked after you're you're gone. Um, yeah. So I. I, you're 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 right on that. And while there's an opportunity where people can renunciate or you can change it after the fact, yeah, it's an immediate slowdown of the administration of the estate because now there's a bunch of paperwork I need to put in place and and signatures I need in in, in order to get started, right? So right. it is a is yeah. a consideration. Uh, you know, delays the administration of the estate if 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 it turns out you know, what you, the plan you put in place isn't workable or, or you know, people don't agree, right? Yeah. So it's important to keep on top of this and give this some good thought. Yeah. And I think in the end, you appoint whoever you like and then always choose an alternate because that makes yes. it much easier as well. Um, so, I, you know, ne next episode, we'll be talking more about professional executors and when it's appropriate to choose a professional over a friend or family member. And I think uh, I think that will be an interesting discussion too, Gord. So I look forward to I'm, it. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for the conversation today. Talk soon. Bye now. Mm -hmm.